Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the Storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, December 26th. Before we talk any tennis on today's podcast, I have to start this episode, of course, by wishing all of you Mini Break Podcast listeners a happy and, of course, healthy holiday season. Whether it's Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or whatever your holiday of choice may be, I hope all of you listeners are enjoying some time to relax, to reflect on everything you accomplished this year. Certainly hope you're all getting to spend some time with your loved ones, with your families, as well as we ring in the final days of 2023. I can tell all of you listeners that's precisely what we've been doing here at Crack Rackets as well. Super producer Daniel Westoff's off with his family. I'm with mine. Dalton's with his as well. That's the reasoning for the lack of content over the last few days on this feed. I would point out we are on schedule in previewing our top 10 Division I men's and women's teams heading into the 2024 college tennis season. So we have had content for all of you listeners to enjoy. And for what it's worth, if you've missed any of our college tennis preview podcasts, or perhaps you want to start getting into college tennis in this 2024 season, I recommend all of you go check out the Great Shot podcast feed. Myself, Chris Halioris, John Parsons, we're breaking down our top 10 teams heading into the new season. And talking about the players you need to watch for, talking about the teams that will certainly make their mark in this 2024 season. Again, a lot of great content over on the Great Shot podcast feed. We've got some really fun Cracked Interviews podcasts already released this month, some fun ones on the horizon as well. So yes, there's only one week left to go here in the offseason. The 2024 ATP WTA seasons, their start is right around the corner. That said, we still have another week of off-season content planned for all of you listeners. I'm going to pick up my game here to end 2023, make one last push for all of you listeners to enjoy, perhaps in spending time with your family. You realize, hey, you know what? I could use I could use an hour break every day. I could use two hours of perhaps time to dive into my own tennis bubble. And if these podcasts can offer you that mechanism of relief at all over the course of the next week, then I know. I'm doing my job here at Cracked Racket. So I do apologize for the lack of episodes over the past week. We're going to step things up here on the Mini Break Podcast this week and certainly as we move forward into 2024. And in that spirit, what I want to do today is something I planned on doing last week, but I should mention with it being the holiday season, not only do Everyone here at Crack Rackets, mine, Westoff, Dalton's schedule change. Guess what? Our guests, all the fantastic minds and fantastic humans we're so fortunate to get the chance to speak with day in, day out here on this show, 
they're all spending times with their families too. They're all enjoying those final few moments before the rush of 2024 ATP and WTA tennis begins. So again, apologies for the lack of episodes these past few days. Promise we're going to make it up to you here this week. And of course, more broadly, a happy and healthy holiday season to all of you listeners. That said, what's our focus here on today's podcast? What are the last few things I want to hit before we head into 2024? Well, today... Again, I want to offer you the follow-up pod to last week's ATP Lost Generation podcast, that stock up, stock down week show where I talked about those guys aged 30 to 34 who have certainly had their moments throughout the course of their career on the ATP Tour. Guys like Marin Cilic, Kei Nishikori, Grigor Dimitrov, and others who have all been top 10 players at some point in their careers. The question is, how much longer... Can that window be extended for those players to continue to compete at the top of the game, to continue to rack up accolades, dare I say, to continue to try and consolidate their arguments for why they should one day belong in the Tennis Hall of Fame? I want to have that same discussion as it relates to that same generation of players on the women's side, a generation I like to refer to as the original post-Serena crew. Now, obviously, the prime and the excellent of Serena Williams, it extended far further than perhaps we have seen from any athlete in professional tennis history prior to Serena continuing to play elite tennis into the late 2010s, 2018, 19. She was still competing in later rounds at major events and competing significantly. Not just, you know, again, I know at her final U.S. Open, she beat second-seeded Annette Conteve, and certainly that was a significant victory given the context of that match. But I don't think anyone, well, that's not true. I bet Serena's most adamant fans, and honestly, after you watched that Conteve match, maybe you even talked yourself into it for two minutes. Maybe you thought she could have won that U.S. Open and gone out on her terms in a fashion only Serena Williams, it seems, would be able to go out on. But here's the point more broadly. Even into her you know, early to mid-30s, Serena's best was still pretty definitively the best on the WTA Tour. And as such, there's a whole generation of players who, as they were in their early, their mid-20s, they were competing with maybe the greatest athlete we have ever seen in this sport, period. And thus again, now that we are in the post-Serena era, now that some of these players are nearing the ending of their careers, it's just worth noting where players like a Petra Kvitova, players like an Angelique Kerber, a Karolina Pliskova, even someone like a Sloane Stevens. where are they as we enter this 2024 season? Because again, all of those players, and there are certainly a few others I want to discuss as well, they have been a part of our lives now as tennis fans for the past maybe decade, maybe even more than that for some. And certainly, look, we haven't seen Petra Kvitova reach world number one. We know when she plays her best tennis, that best tennis is Grand Slam winning tennis. And for what it's worth, you know, we are less than, what, 18 months removed from her winning a Miami Open title. Kvitova can still show flashes of that level. I think anyone who watched Caroline Wozniacki compete at all throughout the course of her comeback post having her first child, the level is still there for Caroline Wozniacki. We're going to get Angelique Kerber back this season. I'm just fascinated to know, where do these players go from here? It's one of the biggest open storylines to me 
in my opinion, heading into 2024, because certainly we start to see Ika Sviantek consolidate her position at the top of the game. I certainly expect Arena Sabalenka to rack up a second slam title at least in 2024 as well, and again, kind of cement her status as a top two player. But Again, beyond that, there's a lot of uncertainty. Yes, Coco Goff captures major title number one, but is she going to get to number two in 2024? That's an open question. What about someone like a Jessica Pagula? Is there room for her, uh, maybe a Maria Sakari, to make a slam push in a way she's never done before? We've talked about those questions already, but what about the veterans? What about the Kvitovas, the Wozniakis, the Kerbers? I didn't include Muguruza in this group. I probably should have. I'm trying to think of other players maybe that should have belonged in this group that I excluded because age-wise it just didn't make sense to include them here anyway. I just, you know, again, this group is supposed to be those players born 1989 to 1993-ish uh, on the WTA Tour. I might have a 94 on the list. I'll have to look at four. I don't think I have a 94. I'm pretty sure it's everyone's 88 to 93. The point is, how much of a runway is left for these players, and what should we know about these players' resumes? Do they even need to accomplish anything else to assure themselves a spot in the International Tennis Hall of Fame? We talked about all that, again, with the lost generation of ATP players on the uh, on the men's side. I want to discuss this post-Serena Williams crew here on today's show. Where do things stand for them heading into 2024? Where do we expect them to go throughout the course of that season as well? And I'm not going to lie, I'm going to do it in a much more concise fashion than I did on the men's side. That podcast, dare I say, got away from me a little bit. I would have liked to take in a few things back. And I know what some of you are thinking. Why don't you just edit them in post? Well, again, super producer Danny Westoff, he's on the road this week. I'm trying to make his life as easy as possible, allow him to enjoy some time with his niece, his nephew, his family, as well as he has just been on a coding grind preparing some of our content for 2024 here at Crack Racket. So again, The theme of today's episode, a belated stock up, stock down week podcast where I want to discuss where things stand for the original post-Serena crew, how many of them have already assured themselves a place in the Hall of Fame, which the expectations for them be as we head into 2024 as well. The other player I was thinking of, by the way, because it would bother me if I didn't say it, a 1994 who I'm not going to include on this list, even though... I suppose from a generational standpoint, she probably belongs more with this generation of players than the current emerging players in their prime. Alina Svitolina probably belongs on this list of players, and I don't have her on it, and Honestly, I'm a little angry. You know what? I'm just going to add Svitolina on the list. I apologize. It's not going to be as well-researched as some of the other players I will discuss as I've gone and looked at the stats and certainly have a few takes to offer all of you listeners today. But Svitolina coming back from having her first child for her to make a real run at Wimbledon. And honest to God, there were moments where I watched Alina Svitolina and I saw an aggression in her game, a decisiveness that I don't remember her having pre-pregnancy. I actually think her upside is particularly high moving forward. Anyways, she's a late addition to the list, but you get the the broader sense of what I'm saying. I want to look at a list of players and I want to ask myself, have these players peaked already or is there still a runway for them to maybe not reach 
that maybe not surpass that prior peak, but get back to that peak, sustain that highest level of tennis. That's the exercise for today's show. Of course, a thank you as always to all of you listeners for tuning in day in, day out. It is not lost upon me that I wouldn't be able to do what I do without all of you supporting our efforts here at Cracked Rackets. It means the world to me. Again, this is now 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. I've gotten to cover tennis pretty much full time for four years now. And That's the dream of my lifetime, and I get to continue to live it, and sincerely, that would not happen without the support of all of you listeners. So please know, as we all reflect here during the holiday season, as we all reflect here down the home stretch of another year, constantly in my thoughts and dare I say, in my prayers as well, even though not the biggest prayer. That's a discussion for a different time. Anyways, in my thoughts constantly is just gratitude from uh, for all of you listeners for the trust you have placed in us to provide you with the best information, the most in, uh, entertaining content in the tennis industry. We will continue to strive to do that in 2024 as well. And of course, the reason we're able to do that on this show day in, day out is because of the support we get, not just from all of you listeners, but from our dear friends at Tennis Point as as well. Did you miss your Christmas shopping? Well, guess what? They still got deals at tennis-point.com where you can find all the latest gear at all the best prices. At checkout, use our promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. You'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-Point, symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all the latest and greatest equipment at the best prices. That said, let's talk original post-Serena crew here on today's podcast. And I do want to give a massive shout out to our dear friend, Jeff Sackman of Tennis Abstract. Him and I have exchanged some fantastic messages, some fantastic DMs over the course of the past few days with content ideas and Again, statistical lists that I think provide better context for where accomplishments rank historically relative to what other players have accomplished historically within the realms of professional tennis. And again, trying to find out a basic criteria. What does a tennis Hall of Famer look like? And if any of you have read any of just Tennis 128 series, you know, that was actually the purpose of why he went about writing that series is trying to find, hey, are there specific metrics? Not just did you win a slam title or not, but, you know, did you win 100 plus matches at the majors in your career? That's a number that I've noticed. If you have won over 100 matches at the majors, odds are you've won at least one, if not two, three. Grand Slam titles in your careers. You have uh, in your career. You have a longevity to you as well. Keep in mind the most matches you can win in a single season at the majors is 28 matches, and you know we haven't seen that done since Navratilova and I think Groff on the women's side. And so uh, that might be wrong, by the way. I apologize if it wasn't Groff. I, there might have been a point where Serena won four consecutive in a row, even if they all weren't in the calendar year. Here's the point more broadly: if you have over 100 Slam wins. Let's say you, again, if you make all four quarterfinals at the majors, that's 16 wins at the majors in a given season. You got to do that, what, six times? If you, 16 times six is six carry the three, 96. You have to have at least six elite years at the majors. That would be six consecutive years of making the quarters or further at all four majors to rack up 100 wins. That would be 24 quarterfinal appearances, just for the record, six times four there. Good math, Alex. Anyways... 24 quarterfinals sounds a little bit high, but the point is you probably have to play at least 
30 majors in your career, maybe 40 majors in your career to even get close to sniffing that 100 win mark. And, you know, again, is 100 wins the the end all be all number of oh they won 100 majors at a match uh, 100 matches at the majors they're a hall of famer no but it's metrics like that it's a metric like and I, you've heard me talk about this quite frequently how many times in your life did you make the year end championship where you unequivocally according to the rankings one of the eight best players in the world because of course that field is the elite of the elite field that's the event we have that recognizes who the best eight were in any given season Typically, if you're a top eight player four, five times in your career, you're starting to get in that Hall of Fame conversation. You're starting to get into that top 128, as Jeff likes to say, or top 100 players of all time in tennis history. And then again, even simpler, how many singles titles did you win in your career? If you don't have double-digit singles titles, it's really hard for you to get into that uh, Hall of Fame conversation, and even at double digits, sometimes that's enough. You need 15, you need 20, really, to consolidate your spot. Of course, what was your career highest ranking? Typically, that's got to be in the top three, and because to be a top three player, typically, you have to have at least one major under your resume from any given season. Anyways, the month of December is the off season. It allows me time to think about those sorts of non-quantified right now accomplishments or accolades that we can reward players with. And again, trying to quantify them, trying to make following all of this just a little bit easier for all of you listeners. I know nowadays it's all about vibes, right? As the kids say, I feel this way, therefore it must be this way. I'm an old school numbers nerd. I'm a guy who I need some metrics. I need some proof. I need some comparisons. You got to show me why is this, why is X better than Y? Because X accomplished these six things better than Y did. And, you know, again, you know what's even better than vibes? Having mathematics, having statistics, having some scholarship to back up your arguments. And so anyways, all that is to say, I've done a deep dive on the numbers, both as they relate to the past for these players, as well as what their numbers look like in the more recent times to perhaps try and project out into 2024. And with that said, let's start getting into our list of players. And again, I'm going to go through these much more quickly than I did on the men's side because I just think I was too inefficient on the men's side. And I apologize for that fact to all of you listeners who may have tuned into that episode. Let's start with the players who, in my opinion, are the sure fact Hall of Famers, have already racked up enough accolades and, again, could stop playing tennis tomorrow and no one would dispute that these players belong in the International Tennis Hall of Fame. And I think of the original post-Serena crew, first and foremost, who fits that description? Well, pretty unequivocally, it's Petra Kvitova, right? You look at what Petra Kvitova has been able to accomplish throughout the course of, again, what has been an extended career. Petra Kvitova's first full season on the WTA Tour, her first season, I should say, where she played north of 25 matches, came all the way back in 2008. 15 years we've gotten out of Petra Kvitova, who, of course, will turn 34 years old this March. And, of course, most relevantly, I mean, she won a Miami title. She won a 1,000-level event this past season. 
that just speaks to the the elite levels of power tennis Petra Kvitova is able to play. And look, it's unequivocal. She is a first ballot Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club inductee. She's also going to be an unequivocal first ballot Hall of Famer in terms of the Tennis Hall of Fame. Now, you know, she's got the two major titles, wins Wimbledon 2011, 2014. She's got another final to her name at the majors as well, making a 2019 Australian Open final, where of course she was knocked off in that final in a very fun 7-6-5-7-6-4 fashion by Naomi Osaka. You want to move beyond just those easy counting stats, where by the way, 128 wins at the majors for Petra Kvitova. That's the most of any player I'm going to discuss on this list today. For what it's worth, Jeff Sackman had Kvitova coming in at number 105 in his tennis 128 trying, you know, formula trying to statistically quantify who the best 128 players, male or female, have been uh, throughout the course of tennis history. I think he went all the way back to 1919. He qualified for her list. And, you know, again, by Jeff's qualifications, she's a Hall of Famer. By my qualifications, she's a Hall of Famer as well because it's not just the two major titles for Petra Kvitova. It's the fact that she was a top eight uh, player in the world seven different times in her career. She wins the tour finals back in 2011. She makes another final back in 2015. And by the way, from 2011 to 2015, she was a top eight player five consecutive years. The peak of Petra Kvitova's powers, or when she was at the peak of her powers, she was unequivocally one of the eight best players in the world. And, you know, again, makes two more Tour finals 2018, 2019, after missing the event back to back in 16 and 17. Had there been a tour finals in 2020, she would have qualified for that event, finishing eighth overall, going quarterfinals, semifinals, and fourth round at the year's three majors held. I mean, again, she made her first tour finals in 2011. A decade later, 2020, she would have qualified for an event had we not had COVID and had the WTA tour finals been held that season. Now, again, it's been a little bit more inconsistent these last three years. You look at the records overall for Petra Kvitova, 29 and 17, 27 and 19, 30 and 13 overall over these past three seasons. That's a 63, 59, and 70% win percentage for a player whose career win percentage is 68%. Again, there have been some ups and downs. And yet, when she's healthy, I go back to what? When uh, the 2020, going into the 2021 French Open, where it really did feel like she was almost one of the favorites, given how well she had been playing throughout the course of, you know, the hard court season, throughout the course of the clay court season. Then she rolls her ankle, right, in this weird fashion, forced to withdraw from the event. She was, though, someone who had a lot of buzz heading into that 2021 French Open. And then again, this year. Uh, listen to the run she has on her way to the Miami Open title. Kvitova able to knock off Alexandrova in three sets, uh, Kirstea in the semis, and then a straight set win over Rabakina in the final. Now, of course, on her way there, she also beat Vekic. She also beat Naskova. It was just a damn good run for Petra Kvitova, who, again, that 69.8% win percentage this season, that's higher than her career average. She held served 75.1% of the time. That's still a top 15 number on the WTA Tour. And was the movement ever elite? Maybe not out of Petra Kvitova, but the power remains the same. And her ability to just hit the cover off the ball to, again, beat you to the spot, uh, not necessarily beat you to the spot, but 
play on her terms. That's the defining feature, right, of Serena Williams' power tennis country club. And she's just had an unequivocal ability to do that, to have lefty power as well, that much more special. And again, she's a seven-time tour finals qualifier. She also won an elite trophy back in 2016, so she finished 11th that year. We'll say she's been a top 10 player eight different seasons in her career. Semifinals at the Olympics uh, and ultimately a bronze medal in 2016. She is a one, two, three, four, five, six-time Davis Cup champion for the Czech Republic. She's won one, two, three, four, five, six different 1,000-level events. There is no doubt in my mind. Petra Kvitova is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And again, that is the furthest thing in the world from a hot take. I think that would be a consensus opinion amongst all of us. Career high of number two came back in October of 2011. How does she fare moving forward into 2024? Well, again, 30 and 13 overall last season. Win healthy. She was pretty darn good. And even against top 20 opponents, Kvitova, 7 and 5 against the top 20 last season. Only three, you know, again, you want to take out her Miami run? Fine. She was 4 and 5 against top 10 opponent uh, top 20 opponents. Outside of that, she got two wins over Pagula, United Cup, Indian Wells this year, the win again over Rabakana in a Miami final as well. She's got big match chops, and when she's serving well, and when she's confident and striking the ball purely, again, the one thing you can't fake is Serena Williams' power tennis country club tennis. And so right now, Petra Kvitova, 14 in the world, that's not as high as her peak would be. Like, when she is playing her best tennis, her best tennis is still capable of playing top six. I wouldn't quite say, t- I mean, man, I would like to see both her versus Rabakina playing their best tennis go head-to-head. I think that would be a very fun match. And the fact that you can even entertain that for her at age 44, again, it speaks to the longevity. It speaks to the fact that when Petra Kvitova has been healthy, when Petra Kvitova, and keep in mind, this is someone who had someone break into her home and was stabbed, and she has come all the way back and, again, is a 1,000-level champion, has re- has been inside the top 10, has done all of these things, speaks to the fact that, again, power translates, and there's no doubt about it. Petra Kvitova's power has translated into one of the most successful careers of the post-Serena, or the original post-Serena crew. She's 14 in the world right now. I'm going to take... No, I think she finishes slightly under that next season, but I still think she's going to be a top 20 player next year. The question is, do we get even 40 matches out of her in 2024? I certainly hope so. If she exceeds 40 matches, I actually think she'll end the rankings higher than she did last season, even if those Miami points come off of her resume. But I just don't know how many matches we're going to see from Kvitova moving forward. Again, I'm going to take the slight under from a rankings perspective, but an unequivocal Hall of Famer is Petra Kvitova. And I would probably say... Caroline Wozniacki, the next player I want to discuss. I mean, her winning that Australian Open title in 2018, may, like talk about relief off the shoulders for a Caroline uh, Caroline Wozniacki, who, you know, let's be abundantly clear, Wozniacki reached number one in the world prior to winning that major title. She did it for the first time in October of 2010 when she was just 20 years old. Speaks to how good she was right away in her career. Of course, this is someone who was a former top five junior in the world, someone who was, you know, again, an Orange Bowl champion and did all these different impressive things in the junior ranks, had all of this different pedigree and expectations coming into her as she began her career. I mean, she won her first WTA Tour title in 2008 when she was just, I think, 17 years old at the time she won that first title. Was she 18 or 17? That first title was the Nordic Light Open in Stockholm 
I think she was 17 at the time, maybe had just turned 18. Here's the point. You look for Caroline Wozniacki, again, 123 wins at the majors for her. She has the title at the 2018 Australian Open, two other finals, four other semis, three other quarters at the majors. She finished as a top eight player in the world, never more than three seasons consecutively, but six different times in her career did she reach the tour championship. She won those tour finals back in 2017 and again went immediately from that at the end of the season to winning that first Australian Open title. One of my favorite matches of all time, her versus Halep in that final. It's a match I can still go rewatch today, and even though I know most of the ebbs and flows, I can still thoroughly enjoy it. I mean, again, not only that, she was an elite trophy player, which means she was top 16 in the world, let's see, in every season from 2009 to 2000. So for a decade consecutively, excluding 2013, where she finished 10th, and just elected or, and just opted out of the elite trophy event. So let's be clear, she was a top 10 player that season. 2016, there were a few injuries that that piled up. She finished that year 19 in the world. So again, she was a top 10 player from 20, 2009 to 2018 in every season except 2015 and 16, where she finished 17th and 19th respectively in the world. So to be a top 10 player for six consecutive years and to be one of the 10 best players in the world for eight out of 10 years, I mean, it speaks to the fact that you can't really tell the story of the 2010s without talking about the persistence, the excellence of Caroline uh, Caroline Wozniacki, a six-time 1,000-level champion as well for what it's worth, uh, three-time Olympic participant, though never was able to bring uh, home a medal, nor did she ever bring home a trophy uh, for her Davis Cup team. But of course, look at the effect, the Caroline Wozniacki effect on Danish tennis, both Holger Runa, obviously uh, Clara Tossen, immediately pointing to her as the role model for success they both look to. I'll tell you what, it was absolutely thrilling to get Wozniacki back in our lives to end this season. And I mean, in reality, we only got seven matches of it, but you know, to watch her beat Kvitova, to watch that thriller against Jennifer Brady, by the way, to watch her go three sets against eventual U.S. Open champion Coco Goff in that round of 16, it just speaks to what an incredible athlete Caroline Wozniacki is. The fact that her movement, yeah, I mean, is she the fleet of foot freak athlete she was at the start of her career right now? No, probably not. But man, she's hitting her spots a little bit more confidently. She's a little bit more decisive and going down the line, trying to end points, trying to take those big swings. Because again, everything now is for, as the kids say, S's and G's, right? S's and giggles, because she's already accomplished what she needs to accomplish. She's pretty unequivocally a Hall of Famer. Pretty, you know, she's been number one in the world. She has a major title. You look for total titles in Caroline Wozniacki's career. I believe Wozniacki, uh, again, overall is certainly in double digits. I think she was at 30, if my memory is serving me correct. Yeah, 30 career singles titles. That's significantly more for what for those of you curious uh, than Petra Kvitova, who uh, significantly more. That's a complete lie. Petra Kvitova, 31 singles titles to Wozniacki's 30. The player I was thinking of in terms of who she's lapped in terms of the total title count was uh, Angelique Kerber, who, yes, has the three major titles, but Kerber only the 14 total career singles titles. Anyways, Wozniacki's the real deal. And I do want, you know, for what it's worth, she's number 90, actually ahead of Kvitova in Jeff Sackman's Tennis 128 series. She's certainly still a top 100 player. Dare I say certainly even a top 15 player on hard court. She just saw that level 
reflected at the U.S. Open. And now that she got the opportunity to dip her toes in the water, see the level of the peers uh, that she wants to compete against nowadays, I actually think perhaps no one's going to come up, uh, will be, but that's not true because there are players who are just in their early 20s who are inherently going to benefit more from an offseason than a Caroline Wozniacki. But I could just see a world where Wozniacki comes out of the gates swinging in Australia and makes another round of 16. I'll tell you what, she's going to be obviously outside the top 200 of the rankings. Now she'll get a wild card if she hasn't already into the main draw. But like, that she could, what if it's like Wozniacki? I don't like Wozniacki Schwiantek round one because I just think Iga... Physically, again, Iga's different physically in the sense that she. I just think Iga's a great matchup. Wozniak uh, is a great matchup for Iga, so I don't love that comparison. But, like, man, what if she played a Sakari? What if she played a Krejcikova? What if she played a Kasikina? Like, are you definitively picking those three players over Caroline Wozniacki after what we saw from her to end 2024? And again, Wozniacki's still, what, 33, 34 years old? Twenty. What we saw from her to end 2023, excuse me. I don't know if I'm picking Kasekina definitively over her. <sighs> I think I'm picking Sakari definitively over her. I don't know. It depends which cred shows up on a given day. Like that is, I, I, that is how good you feel about Caroline Wozniacki, not just from a result standpoint, but from an eye test standpoint. Again, the three-set match against Coco Goff, it was a real three sets. It's not as though Goff played particularly poorly. No, Wozniacki just made her work. And again, it took Goff finding her extra rhythm, finding another gear physically to pull through that match in the end. I mean, unequivocally, you're buying stock in Caroline Woz- Caroline Wozniacki. She's outside the top 200. Like, she's clearly a top 50 player in the world. She's been that way her entire career. Again, the only reason she dropped out of the top 50 is because she stepped away from the game to have a family, to go enjoy the other aspects of life that are offered out there, something that I assume resonates with all of us. Again, I've spent way too long on these first two names. Wozniacki, sure thing, Hall of Famer, certainly a stock up heading into 2024. What about Angelique Kerber, who's going to come back from again after she stepped away from the game for a little bit? And again, you can completely understand why Kerber wanted to do so, as of course, Angelique Kerber took a break from tour to have her first child. She had that daughter earlier in 2023. I mean, again, three-time major champion is Caroline was, uh, is Angelique Kerber, excuse me, 2016 Australian Open, 2016 U.S. Open, 2018 Wimbledon as well. Let's keep in mind, this is someone who almost won three majors in 2016 in what was unequivocally her peak season, a 63-18 and 18 year for Kerber that saw her end as the year number one. Of course, 2018, she wins another uh, Wimbledon title, and that year goes semis, quarters, title third round at the majors 18 and 3 in 2018 at the majors again surpassed only by her 20 and 2 record in 2016 she also through longevity 58 slam main draw appearances she's racked up 120 wins she's 120 and 55 for what it's worth she's a WTA tour finals appear five different seasons made it four out of five years from 2012 to 2016 or five out of seven years if that's what you'd prefer from 2012 to 2018 was a top 10 player in the world for five straight years, 2012 to 2016. 2017, there was a little bit of a blip, but then 2018, she steadies the ship, 46 and 19. She finishes as the year-end number two top 10 player for six out of seven years. Someone who, again, 14 career singles titles, that's actually on the lower end, and that speaks to there are some serious vacillations. You know, again, 
2016, 17, 18 at the majors for Kerber. She goes 20 and 2 in 2016, 6 and 4 at the majors in 2017, 18 and 3 at the majors in 2018, 4 and 4 at the majors in 2019. There were some ups. There were some downs for the lefty who, truth be told, again, last we saw her in 2022, she had fallen. Uh, she was 13 and 11, excuse me, overall. But, you know, again, she didn't play Madrid. She didn't play Cincinnati. She didn't play Canada. She didn't play anything down the season's home stretches. She was off having her first child. The last full season she played was 2021. At the end of that year, she was 30 and 16. Finished the year ranked 16 overall, 65% win percentage. She won one title and made another final as well. I mean, again, physicality was such a significant part of Angelique Kerber's success. Never the tallest player, never had the biggest weapons, but that low center of gravity. She just beats you to the spot. So good at changing directions. So good at flattening things out on that backhand wing. And again, we'll just slap that on the run forehand down the line by you when you least expect it. It's been a lot of time watching Kerber matches in my day. I hope she gets the ending she is looking for. She's expected to come back at the 2024 United Cup as part of Team Germany. I mean, again, you're away from the game for a year. She had Again, she exists in a plane of athleticism that I just don't understand because I've never been an elite, elite, elite athlete. And there's certainly at her prime, from a speed, fluidity perspective, you have to put Angelique Kerber on that list. And that athleticism was so pivotal in allowing her to have success with the other features of her game. I need to see the speed before I make an assessment. I mean, look, that she's back on tour is a win for everyone. I think she's a Hall of Famer. She is not a part of Jeff Sackman's tennis 128, top 128 players. And I'm very curious as to what his logic and reasoning is. I mean, I know his formula had her outside the top 128. That's why he didn't include her. But I'd be fascinated to learn where she sits with his formula. Three major titles at three different major events. Finished a year world number one. Can you be a Hall of Famer on the back of a really, really strong 2016? But it wasn't just that. She was top 10 five out of seven years, six out of eight, whatever I said the number was. Yeah, she's a Hall of Famer. I'm happy to have her back. I think we all should be as well. Though for what it's worth, she's the oldest of this group. She turns 36 in the middle of January. You know, again, she'll turn 36 less than a month from now. I mean, the fact is, at 2016, she was 28. Like, she experienced significant success a little bit later in her career. Although, her 2012 season, she goes 60 and 22 overall. (sighs) I mean, obviously, she's unranked right now. So, I'm going to say stock up in the sense that she's going to play matches and hopefully finish the season with a ranking. Do I think she's going to ever make another major semifinal or quarterfinal in her? I really don't. But I'm really excited to see her end on her her career on her terms. And again, in my opinion, she's an unequivocal Hall of Famer. It would be fascinating to hear all of your thoughts as well. All right. From here, we're rapid firing down the home stretch because I have far too many names left on this list. And I want to go through them much quicker. Let's start with Simona Halep. She looked like a top 10 player in the world when she left in 2022. You look at that record overall, 39-11, and 78% win percentage. I thought she was the best player in the world in 2020 before the pandemic hit. She was 23-3 and three, uh, before play stopped. 
Halep a top five player in the world, not a top 10 player in the world, a top five player in the world in every season consecutively from 2014 to 2020. She made the tour finals in five out of six years from 2014 to 2019 and would have made it six out of seven years had that been held in 2020. She was also an elite trophy champion in 2013, finishing the year 11 in the rankings, finished 10th in the rankings in 2002, a two-time slam winner, three-time slam run are up 18 uh excuse me 18 different 1000 level finals 18 1000 level finals in her career 24 total titles obviously there's this performance enhancing drugs uh testing positive now scandal that sits over everything she's accomplished in her career but man I'm not saying favorite in the sense of like I was rooting for her to win but my favorite women's tennis player to watch in the prime of my fandom, again, the 2010s, has always been Simona Halep. It just, uh, there's a physicality, a fluidity she brings that before Sviantec, before Goff, like again, her, Wozniacki, Kerber, they kind of existed in this different plane of existence where just, you know, again, they could offer you counters. They could do these different things. And to watch Halep beat Serena 2-2 two and two in the Wimbledon final in 2019 was one of those jaw-dropping, like, where were you when it happened moments? Because it just felt like that was going to be it for Serena. She's on the comeback trail. She's found her rhythm. But no, here comes Simona to win that title. Of course, Halep, again, won the French Open the year prior, the three-set victory over Sloan Stevens from a set down to finally get over that major hump after having lost her first three slam finals, including that heartbreaker in Australia, the slam prior. I, 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 You're not going to find a bigger advocate of Simona Halep's tennis than me. Halep, who, by the way, 467 career victories. And that's another interesting metric. Like, just if you win over 400 matches at the tour level, how likely is it that you will be a Hall of Famer? Those are the sort of statistics Jeff and I are working on trying to figure out for all of you listeners. But this is someone whose career break percentage is over 45%. This is one of the you know, generational returning talent, a generational athlete who was playing elite tennis before being suspended in uh, for the 2023 season. And again, I don't even know if we're going to see her in 2024 Obviously, Patrick Mortoglu has taken the blame for everything that happened relating to this performance-enhancing incident, and it just really sucks that this will hang over her now. And because her success was so predicated on physicality, the the jump to say, oh, her success was all because she was doping, it's going to be really easy to make for simpletons uh, in this sport, for people who want to diminish what she's accomplished. I am not one of those people. I will always be Team Halep, and, you know, again— I think she would be an unequivocal Hall of Famer if this performance-enhancing scandal wasn't lingering over her for what it's worth, according to Jeff Sackman, Simona Halep. 93 in the tennis abstract, uh, tennis 128. She's three spots behind Wozniacki, uh, but again, at number 93, she is 12 spots ahead of Petra Kvitova and obviously ahead of Angelique Kerber as well. She's the real deal. And for what it's worth, you look uh, for Simona Halep. It's not as though, like, I guess here's what I'm trying to say. If she's able to come back from, from this suspension She turns 33 in September. Like, there still is a little bit of a window for her, particularly given how high her level was in 2022. I am still a believer in her game. 
I understand again some people are more scru- uh, are more strict in their morality clauses and to see this uh, to see the flunking of the PED test like maybe that's disqualifying for you for Simona Halep it is not for me I think she's a hall of famer I hope we get to see her come back and end things on her terms because again to have this cloud hanging over one of the workhorses we had in of the last decade on the WTA tour uh, such a shame in my mind again I am team Simona Halep I will say, you know, again, uh, I, this is another one of those interesting arguments of Hall of Fame versus Hall of Very Good. I think Simona Halep is Hall of Fame good. What do we make with this next player, Karolina Pliskova, who might be the most fascinating active player resume we have right now on the WTA Tour? Of course, Pliskova reached a career high of number one back in 2017. This is someone who, yes, has you know, doesn't have a major title to her name, but has 16 titles. That's more than Angelique Kerber. This is someone who has made two different slam finals, two other slam semifinals, and seven different slam quarterfinals in her career. A player who would have likely made, uh, you know, made the tour finals, by the way, in five out of six consecutive seasons, 2016 to 2021, probably would have made it in 2020 as well. And thus, you know, again, Six consecutive years of being one of the eight best players in the world. You want to go back to 2015 where she finished 11 in the world and made the finals of that elite trophy event as well. A two-time Davis Cup champion, a two-time 1,000-level champion, someone who you look at top 10 victories in her career. Obviously, Pliskova, a former number one player in the world, but plenty of top 10 victories to her name. In fact, you look for Karolina Pliskova. I want to get this precisely right. 39 and 49 in her career against the top 10, but... Again, 39 top 10 uh, victories. That's another metric. How many top 10 victories do the best players typically have that I would love to explore? I mean, look, it's a it's a unique brand of power tennis in the sense that her contact points, you know, again, it's it's not like overwhelm you. You see the, the rack. It's not like Arena Sabalenka, whose power tennis smacks you in the face, right? With her noise, with the with the racket speed, with just everything she does screams power tennis player. Carolina Pliskova is a little, a little more silent, but you know she's a little quieter, but just as deadly. Again, maybe as as good of hands in the sense of if she can get her mitts on the ball, something special can always happen. Whether it's the on the run magic, whether it's just the the constant depth and pace she's able to produce with those ground strokes, the funky, weird bending, you know, drop shots that she's able to hit off the backhand wing. And again, this is someone who is ranked as high as number one in the world. Now, Pliskova hasn't made a tour-level final since 2021, and again, has been kind of injury-plagued these last couple of seasons. You look for her overall at the tour level. She's 38 and 41 these last two years. She'll turn 33, uh, excuse me, 32 this March, which again, is on the younger end of this list. There were so many injuries for her, so much starting and stopping during the 2023 season, a season where she started out, by the way, quarterfinalist at the Australian Open. She was a quarterfinalist in Dubai as well. Then the injuries started to kick in. And then again, it just felt like she never found a fully healthy rhythm. By the way, Pliskova has also openly talked that she thinks she sees the finish line, that the end is in sight. I mean, again, she's at 87 career wins at the majors, just short of that 100 threshold, but still knocking on the door Again, she's the first player we've talked about who does not have a slam title on this list. (sighs) I don't know, man. I don't know. 
It's a it's a really good resume. Again, she was top ten player five out of six years, six out of seven years, whatever you want to do. Three time Billie Jean King Cup champion, two time doubles slam semifinalist as well. I mean, she's not a Hall of Famer. It's that simple. She's not because she doesn't have the slam title, even though she reached the world number one. She just wasn't quite good enough at the majors. To reach the quarterfinals or further, what, only seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven times, having played 44 different major events, one out of every four, that's probably a little... Again, it's the Hall of Really Good. I don't know if it's the Hall of Fame, 87 tour, you know, that's probably just a hair short... Is there still a runway for her to have success? Can she, you know, move well enough against these elite athletes who hit the ball so heavy at the top of the game right now that, her, again, the feel, the finesse still works for her? Can she regain her rhythm on the serve, which seemed to go away for her a little bit this year? Man, again, we don't have enough Carolina Pliskova t- conversations because probably, again, you're going to start to say things that Pliskova fans would not love. She is really, really, really good. Hall of Fame worthy? Mm, a question maybe for a different time. But uh, a question we'll continue to ponder, certainly, until her career comes to an end. And I actually fired out a Twitter poll. Who do you think is more likely to make the Hall of Fame? Carolina Pliskova, Sloane Stevens, both or neither. And for what it's worth, 48% of plurality, not a majority, but a plurality, thought that neither would end up in the Hall of Fame. That Sloan Stevens, even though, yes, she does have the one major title coming, of course, at the 2017 U.S. Open. Is that enough for her? Uh, again, what about the totality of other things for Sloan Stevens, whose career high ranking is number three, came in 2018 after she made her second and only other final at a major, losing that three-set final again to Simona Halep. You look for uh, Stevens, much like Carolina Pliskova, under that 100 threshold. She's played 46 different majors. She's won 86 main draw matches at the majors. Now, for what it's worth, she's only finished top 10 in the rankings in one season. That's the 2018 season. Career 57% win percentage, 281 and 216. Since the start of 2021, she is 57 and 55 overall in tour-level matches. Yes, she won a major title. Yes, as she won a, a, a title in the Billie Jean King Cup with the USA back in 2017. Yes, she won a 1,000-level event in Miami in 2018. I, I don't think it's a Hall of Fame career, truth be told. like It's just not enough. The peaks were certainly very, very high, but... I do think you can tell the story of the 2010s without, and I always say that's the point of the Hall of Fame is to have a place where all of us tennis fans can go and we can accurately tell the story of what's happened throughout the course of tennis history. And I just don't think Sloan, like she's really good. There's no doubt about it. And again, when she's locked in, when she's fit, when she's firing, when she's confident, we saw her make that snap fourth round appearance at this year's French Open. And by the way, these last three years at the French, even throughout all the other lack of successes, she's gone fourth round quarterfinals, fourth round at the French these last three years. She has made the fourth round of the French or further in nine of the 12 times she's played the event. That's pretty freaking good. She's 34, uh, 35 and 12 at the French Open. That's a really good individual event record. It's just not enough. Again, you look at the total title count for Sloane Stevens in her career. Seven total titles. She hasn't hit double digits. Like, 
under 400 career wins. Again, someone who's still just 30 years old. She's on the younger end. There's no doubt about that. There's still a runway for her should she choose to make a big push, make a big pursuit. And she is, again, out prior to Coco. She was the first non-Serena American major winner in quite some time. And that matters significantly. And there is that American factor, which does sometimes cloud the Hall of Fame voters. Not this, hopefully someday, Hall of Fame voter, but others out there. Is she a Hall of Famer? No. Do I think there's still a runway for her to have success? I mean, again, we just, you look at the story for her, the hold percentages these last three years, 64, 63.9, 63.8. The break percentage these last three years, 35%, 37%, 36.8. The records, again, these last three years, 19 and 18, 18 and 17, 20 and 20 overall. Three years consecutively of identical statistics or relative within the margins, you're kind of telling us who you are. That, yeah, there will be the Sloan week. There may even be the Sloan two-week stretch at a major, but you're not going to have the you know top 10 Sloan-Stevens I'm not sure that player exists anymore, particularly, again, given the urgency, the hunger, and the consistency you see from some players who aren't 30, but in their early to mid-20s instead, hot in the pursuit of trying to pursue either that first slam title or, you know, again, a top five ranking, whatever it may be. I don't think Sloan's a Hall of Famer. I think she's really good. I think she'll have a special place in the minds of a lot of American tennis fans in particular. But again, that's probably where I draw the line. Again, right? I, I would go Pliskova over Steven. I think Pliskova's had a better career than Stevens. Just like straight up. Like just more wins, more relevance, more shots at the big dogs. No, she didn't get over the hump the way Sloan Stevens did. But again, it's like it's the LeBron MJ article, which uh, argument. Would you rather go six and zero in the finals, or would you rather make the finals eight straight times and be four and six in the ten finals that you've played? Personally, I'd rather be in the finals ten times. I'd rather have a shot and a bite at the crown, and maybe fall a little bit short instead of a perfect record there. But if you're the person, you know, again, you know what happened in those years? Michael Jordan wasn't six and zero. In NBA Finals, he didn't make the finals in those years. His teams weren't a part of the conversation in the 1980s when he couldn't get over the Celtics, couldn't get over my Detroit Pistons, who I'm praying by the time this podcast is released will have beaten the Brooklyn Nets and ended their NBA record-long losing streak. I, again, Pliskova gave herself bites at the apple, even if she was never able to get that done. More often so than Sloane Stevens. I think they've both made two major finals. How many major finals has Carolina Pliskova? I know I just had it up, but how many major finals has Pliskova made in her career? Two. Major final at the 2016 U.S. Open. Major final at the 2021 Wimbledon. Again, you look for Sloane Stevens, the career stats. Two major finals as well. 2017 U.S. Open. 2018 French Open. By the way, total quarterfinals are further at the majors. 86 wins for Stevens, who's made the quarterfinals or further seven different times. Again, you look for Carolina Pliskova, 87 wins at the majors. She's made the quarterfinals or further uh, 11 different times. It's a fascinating argument. It's a fascinating dichotomy. Not to pick those two players together because, again, they both had outstanding careers. I don't know if either of them gets into the Hall of Fame. If I was voting on that question, I'd probably vote neither as well. But if I were, if you had to say pick one, Pliskova or Stevens, and this tells me everything I need to know about you as a tennis fan, I think I would pick Pliskova, which I actually don't think will be surprising for any of you listeners to hear. And yet, again, if there's a Hall of Very Good, they would both certainly exist within it. 
the Hall of Fame. That's a different story altogether. And look, the last list of players I want to talk about here quickly, again, in a rapid-fire sort of fashion, much more so than the previous six, are players who I'm just curious, what's the runway for them moving forward? You know, not towards the International Tennis Hall of Fame, because I'm not sure any of these players are going to get there, but... What's the runway for these players uh, heading into the 2024 season? All players who, again, mid to late 30s, like kind of in the mix. I guess the last one who probably shouldn't be in this group but should have been in the prior group is Anastasia Pavlachenkova. Pavlachenkova, obviously, a little bit older uh, than some of the other players I will also talk about as she's actually... 32 years old is not old at all. She's a 1991-er. She has won, for what it's worth, 83 matches at the majors. Now, she's played 58 majors. That's a healthy chunk of change. Her first major appearance, the 2007 Wimbledon, again, over 16 years ago. Someone who's made the quarterfinals or further eight different times at the majors. 83 wins at the majors. Again, nothing to knock your eye out, but 83 and 58 overall thing is, she's never finished the career, uh, a season inside the top 10. The closest she came was when she made that French Open final, finished the year number 11 overall. She is a Billie Jean, Cup, uh, Billie Jean King Cup champion. I believe she's an Olympic medalist in doubles as well, right? Her and Andre Rublev, yes, winning the gold medal at the Olympic Games back in 2021. For what it's worth, she also has uh, a slam Again, that slam final at the French Open. She's got 12 career singles titles to her name at the tour level someone who had a lot of success in the juniors, by the way, as well, was a former world junior number one, I believe. And again, a highly touted prospect, 396 career victories in the limited action we saw from her in 2023. Pavlachenkova, 14 and 12 overall, but of course beats Mertens, Potapova, Samsonova, and Fruvertova on her way to a French Open quarterfinal appearance. We saw her made another late run in the season, makes a run in Tokyo, a run in Hong Kong as well to semifinals, quarterfinals, respectively 32 years old like she's been around forever so again that's why I saw it It feels in my head she's mid 30s mid to late 30s even no still just 32 years old even if from a miles perspective maybe a little more than that on her body where did she end her season Pavlachenkova uh, ended her season currently ranked let's see where are you Pavs she's currently ranked number 58 in the world I mean, she still has weapons that are maybe a little bit better than that. I actually think she's still moving pretty darn well as well. I take the under. I think she's going to rank uh, end the season ranked a little bit lower than she is right now. By the way, I know I didn't do those for Sloane uh, or, Carol, uh, or Carolina Pliskova. Excuse me, Sloane Stevens right now currently ranked 48 in the world or right around there. Yeah, it feels honest to God, that feels about right. Like, I'm not sure how much higher she gets than that. Pliskova right now, 36. No, she can't be 36 in the world. I don't believe that for a second. Uh, you look for Carolina Pliskova right now. She is sitting at 38 in the world. And by the way, Sloan Stevens currently sitting uh, at 47 in the world. Uh, and then again, Pavlachenkova right now currently sitting at 58 in the world. I'd say stock hold. Honest to God, those ranges feel right for all of those players. And another player in that range right now, how about 30-year-old Danielle Collins, who, again, I'm not having the Hall of Fame conversation with. Relax. She made one slam final, 2022 Australian Open final. She's made one other, I believe, quarterfinal or further. No, two career quarterfinals are further at the majors outside of that Australian final. She made a semi in 2019, a quarters at the French in 2020. Obviously was a two-time NCAA singles champion as well, something that matters to me in terms of a totality of career across levels. But 
you know, career 34 wins at the majors, not even 50, 60, 70 range or the 80s we've been talking about with Pav, Stevens, and Pliskova. No, 34 career wins at the majors. The question is, again, where does Danielle Collins go from here? Because it's just been so up and down for Collins, and a lot of that is injury-related. A lot of that has to do with some serious health issues she's had over the last few years. What was the signature run, the signature victories for Collins in what was a 22-18 and 18 campaign? Beats Mukova, uh, Kalinskaya on a way to a third-round three-set loss to Rabakina in the third round of Australia quarterfinals Montreal where she came through qualifying gets wins over Svitolina which aged well Sakari Fernandez before three set loss to Iga you know even San Diego she makes the semifinals beats Astapanko Garcia before three set loss to the eventual champion Krechikova what was her record against top 50 players this year she goes 8 and 14 overall 3 and 10 against the top 10 but lost her first seven matches against the top 10 in 2023 Goes three and three down the season's home stretch. <sighs> Depends how healthy she is. Again, of all the players we've discussed, maybe actually she's the one I feel like could bounce back to a career high top ten level again. Like you just never Danielle Collins lives so thoroughly in her own world in the best way possible that it's all the Danielle Collins story. She is the main character in every match that she plays in her own head, and you need that main character energy to be able to convince yourself that you are able to compete at that level. Again, that's a very superficial statistic. I don't feel great about that. And you know, again, when you look for Danielle Collins statistically last season, it was actually the break percentage, something she's been probably best at in her career. It fell pretty significantly off a cliff, 31.6%, which would have been a bottom 10 number amongst top 50 players last season on the WTA Tour. I mean, she takes big cuts at the ball. Again, she's always uh, likes to take that high risk and yet then she'll throw in the little loopy ball and that high and heavy. And just like we're always playing at her rhythm, which is a testament to her and the energy she brings match in, match out. I'm buying stock on Danielle Collins. I think she ends the season in the top, inside the top 50 uh, in after 2024. Rapid fire through these final four in the truest sense. Caroline Garcia, because I'm getting called by my family to have dinner. I apologize for that fact. And I feel like we have hit this exercise sufficiently. It was it was the big names up top. Again, Kvitova, Wozniacki, Kerber, Halep, and then the Pliskova-Stevens conversation is what I really wanted to have. Those are the names we will probably remember most from this generation, these players I'm talking about outside of that. I don't want to say bit players. That feels a little bit mean, but maybe a little bit more superficial in telling the narrative than than the rest of these players of this generation. Caroline Garcia, boy, was the resurgence from her last season fun. And honestly, her finishing last year as a top 20 player in the broader picture of her career is very much a steadying of the ship and being like, okay, you know, again, in some sense, some are arguing if Caroline Garcia is the John Isner of the women's tour in the sense that she's a proverbial top five hold percentage player to serve and the plus one forehand, her ability to dominate on her terms when in rhythm and on an advantageous surface, it's undeniable. Like the power tennis she's capable of playing takes six seconds of watching Garcia to be like, oh, it really is an all-out make-or-break, take-these-massive-cuts-on-the-return sort of game. And yet, again, okay, we know what plan A is. Plan B has never really been her thing. Plan C is not really her thing. She's not out there trying to grind. No, she's out there to play on her terms. Obviously, those terms meant Cincinnati. You know, she looked like 
one of the five best players in the world down that home stretch of 2022. And can she recapture that level moving forward? Again, you look for Caroline, uh, Caroline this time, Garcia, 20 in the world, also another player still just 30 years old, very much 1993, the younger end of this group. I'm going to say stock up. I'm going to say she finishes slightly higher than 20 in the world next season. It's just, it really helps to be able to control things on your own pace. The last three of this generation, Camilla Georgie, a 1,000 level champion, 53 uh, in the world, 31 years old. I don't know if we're ever going to see her in the top 50 again. What about Isla Tamjanovic? Obviously, she's played her better, her best tennis in her late 20s, and as she approaches her 30s, and obviously injuries, injuries were a massive part of the 30-year-old season last year, but the current world number 290, when healthy, has been a top 25 player over the course of these last three years. There is a big match chops that she seems to have developed in the first week of majors, a consistency, a callousness to get through those tight moments. And obviously you beat Serena Williams in her final match. You're going to retain the tennis world's attention. She becomes a part, obviously, uh, of Breakpoint, the Netflix docuseries to get a little, to gain even further prominence. Hmm. We're just... I mean, again, stock up in the sense that if she's healthy, she's going to. She is clearly a top 100 player physically. Again, just can maneuver, can just take away your number one option if you don't have elite, elite, elite weaponry. I don't know if I ever see her being a top 20 player again. The most fascinating is Alina Svitolina, who, by the way, 29 years old. She's a 1994. She is too young to qualify for this list. So I'll save her for later this week. But. Again, the level she showed earlier this season. I do think Svitolina at 25 in the world. I think she can get back to the top 10. I do think she can make another push back up the rankings with a full off season to get fit, get back in the gym, and kind of work through the things she may have struggled with in her first few months back. And there really weren't that many things she struggled with uh, in returning to the tour. And again, finding slam success so quickly. But... You know, again, she had success so early in her career that maybe some of you associate her with the rest of this original post-Serena crew. So there's a final thought for you, but more broadly, that's where things stand right now for the post-Serena crew. Again, Kvitova, still pretty clearly a top 20, 15 player in the world. Man, did Wozniacki look at like it at the home stretch. Boy, did Simona Halep look like it before being suspended for 2023. Pliskova, Stevens, you maybe have a few more doubts about, but it's a fascinating generation, one we will continue to enjoy watching as, again, they all reach the glory days, the golden years of their careers as we approach 2024 and move throughout the rest of this decade. That said, again, that'll do it for your look at the original post-Serena crew. Now, I've got some really fun podcasts planned for you all this week. Tomorrow, we're going to look back at our 2023. We're going to talk about the takes we got most right, the takes we got most wrong. Of course, later on this week, we're going to start forecasting towards 2024. Who are the players we think will make top 100 debuts next season? Who are the Americans we think will stand out throughout the course of the year? That and so much more. Who are the make or break players of the season? We got all those topics coming up for you this week on the Mini Break podcast feed. So stay tuned. And of course, be sure to check out our other podcasts as well, whether it's the Cracked Interviews podcast where we have Michigan State men's tennis head coach Harry Jaden, Baylor men's tennis head coach Michael Woodson, world number one doubles player Austin Krejcik, world number 51 ATP singles player Yannick Hoffman, or so many more planned 
Be on the lookout for those podcasts. Of course, be on the lookout for our top 10 previews on the Great Shot podcast feed as well. And a shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A thank you to him. A thank you as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.